Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. Radio MD. Radio MD. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome. On today's Healthy Children, we're going to talk about a topic not everyone wants to talk about, but it's something that is so important and so near and dear to my own heart as I know someone who was devastated by pediatric suicide. And here to tell us if there are any ways to prevent it and possible risk factors, ways to identify who might be at risk is Dr. Cora Collette Bruner. She's currently an adolescent medicine pediatrician at Seattle Children's and a professor of pediatrics at the University of Washington School of Medicine and adjunct professor of orthopedics and sports medicine. Dr. Bruner, as I said in my intro, I have recently been affected personally by this. It's devastating. I I cannot even imagine what my friend is going through. I can barely even talk about it without crying. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and what's going on in this country with suicide in our adolescents and even our young adults. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for inviting me on your show. It's always an honor to to be interviewed by you. And yes, this is a very, very difficult topic to talk about, and yet extremely important to talk about it. We do know that there's a rising rate of suicide in adolescents, young adults. We had been doing, um, we had had numbers decreasing since the 90s with um, the the number going down um, considerably, but in the last uh, 10 years, we've actually seen a rise in suicide in, in the adolescents, young adults, in particular in certain groups that didn't seem to be a group that we thought we were going to see a rise in. So we're seeing more suicide in the African-American male population. We're seeing high rates of suicide in the Native American population. And we're also seeing high rates of suicide in the transgender youth. So those are the first three to make sure that we talk about during this interview in terms of groups that you need to be even more concerned about if it's in in your child or your friend's child or um, other groups that you might um, have um, exposure to. Well, then let's talk about those groups and others. Tell us about risk factors. Is there any way to identify, as you say, transgender youth? We know that life is difficult. Sometimes there's bullying involved, feelings of isolation, depression, all of these things tied together. Tell us about these groups and why they're at higher risk. Well, this is interesting. Let's just go straight to the bullying one first. I feel that the amount of bullying that occurs in 
adolescents, young adults, and actually even pre-adolescents. I need to make sure that we also um, talk about the groups between 10 and 12 years of age, because that's a group where people don't really think of as, as adolescents because they're pre-adolescents, but that's a group where there is also an increased number of suicide attempts and completed suicide. So in in the world of bullying, the thing that's really challenging, especially if there's bullying online, if there's cyberbullying, that doesn't stop when the day stops. It can be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where people can be harassed through social media outlets. And that's the piece that, that parents don't even realize how challenging it is for this to occur to their own child. So in groups where there is uh, there has been bullying at the school, the parents, teachers, community members, spiritual leaders, um, whoever the child or young adult is exposed to needs to to, to ask, they need to be asked how much time they're spending on the internet because the more time they're on the internet, the more there's a possibility of them being um, bullied and harassed. In youth that have underlying mental health issues already, the the youth that have depression or anxiety already occurring are more likely to have thoughts of death by suicide, just in, in general. So if you have a child that seems to be more anxious or depressed and is in therapy or even on medications for this, it's extremely important to be hypervigilant about thoughts of, of, of self-harm or thoughts of suicide. So then you're, you're talking about bullying. And what are some of the other reasons besides bullying? I mean, home life or, again, feelings of isolation. What else might be factors that we take into consideration? Pediatrics and the resource world have discovered that there is something called ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, or um, trauma that occur in a child's life, which actually leads to higher incidence of depression, anxiety. And then if you go even further into that diagnosis, is more thoughts of self-harm. Feeling hopeless, feeling like there's no way out, that that these past experiences which lead to um, a feeling of unworthiness, loneliness, isolation, can lead to thoughts of self-harm. So in a child who's been exposed to a death in the family or rape or abuse of any kind, uh, racism, um, feeling overpowered by someone stronger than them leads to, if you look at them 10, 15 years later, significant issues with depression and anxiety. And we also know actually that, that kids that have had ACEs in their, in their past are more likely to have diabetes, obesity, hypertension, et cetera. So it's a whole nother um, interview we could have about adverse childhood experiences and what it leads to um, downstream. But in terms of the mental health piece, there's much higher incidence in those who've had uh, significant issues with depression and anxiety to have past history of trauma, whether it's been exposed to it by seeing it, um, by in our, in our um, immigrant population from the trauma of, of, of being an immigrant in our country or in bullying by, because of their, their sexual identity or their gender identity. These are all kids who who have a tendency to have more depression and anxiety, and in those kids, more de- more thoughts of self harm. So now let's talk about for parents as we're watching our children as we raise them, and we're watching them carefully for signs. What are we looking for, Doctor Bruner? Do we talk about this with our children? And a lot of parents worry that if you bring it up, then you're putting the idea into a child's head that might not have had it, but. Is that a myth? Is that true? How do we talk to our children about this? Excellent question. And we have absolutely um, 
taken that thought out. So that is a myth, and it is not true, that if you ask someone about whether or not they want to hurt themselves, that doesn't make them want to hurt themselves. In fact, if you do ask about it, they're less likely to hurt themselves, and they're more likely to ask for help. So checking in with your child about thoughts of self-harm and making sure that when your child goes to the pediatrician or whoever is the healthcare provider, that uh, every time they go in, one of the recommendations from the Academy of Pediatrics is that we are screening our kids in our well-child visits. We're screening them when they come to the emergency room. We're screening them when they go to their subspecialty visits with something called a PHQ-9, which is a patient health questionnaire, which has nine questions on it, which is a validated survey tool to ask about thoughts of self-harm. In fact, on the survey, a question is, have you ever thought about killing yourself? Have you ever thought about um, taking your life by suicide, dying, dying by suicide? And I know it's it's harsh to even talk about it, but this is basically the only way we're going to get these numbers to drop is by asking about it and then providing the resources right away for those kids who check yes. So that's that's the other piece about this is when you survey someone or ask this question, you really need to be prepared to help them if they say yes. You need to have tools or resources education or even training for those that are asking this question as to what to do if or when they say yes. Do they say yes, Dr. Bruner? Do they, are they honest if you're talking to a child who maybe you know has been bullied or has depression or these things? Are they honest on these things? They're actually more honest on the forms than they are when we ask them. And that's another uh, interesting uh, research nugget that's come out in the last a few years is the surveys are, the kids are much more honest than they are in face-to-face interviews. And I think because they they can, and many places right now are having it done by a a tablet. I know we do at our institution where they they get um, an iPad and then they just click, click, click. um, And then they turn the tablet into our front desk and that gets scored, printed, and then put into the hands of the providers before they even go in and see the child. So and this might be a child that's coming in for not depression, but coming in for something like acne or coming in because they, they, they sprained their ankle. And so these are extremely important. And and occasionally you get a family member that says, why are you asking this of my child? We're just coming in for a refill of, of, of you know, their acne medicine or because they have a sore throat. But Honestly, the, the the key is that many times the only touch a child will have with a healthcare provider is in an acute visit because there's not um, a lot of, of well visits that seem to occur as frequently as we'd like them to. So the only way we're going to actually be able to get at this um, and drive these numbers back down is to be screening for it universally at all visits, which is hard to hear, but actually we understand that it's important to do this. It just because the more we screen, the more we pick up, the more we pick up, the more we can prevent. Well, I agree. And as a parent, I would never mind if they wanted to ask those questions because, again, it, it's not always easy for every parent to talk about. I mean, I could talk about anything with my kids, but that's because I can talk and I'm I'm not afraid to ask. But a lot of parents are worried about even mentioning it. So thank you for telling us about this. So now some kids post these things on social media, you know, thoughts of suicide. What do we do if, as you said, the primary care provider needs to be prepared if the child answers yes to take action? But what about if it's 
on social media. What about for teens, Dr. Brunner? My daughter did come to me, and she told me about a friend of hers that mentioned this. And right away, I called the mother and asked if she talked to the child about these things. I, I don't know if it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do. But I was told by my daughter that her friend and her mother had a great talk. So, right. what no, that's thank God for you, Melanie, and thank God for your daughter because you probably saved this girl. I, it's honestly, I think it's really important. I, I must get at least three or four t- times a week somebody asking me this question or bringing their child in because somebody said somebody saw, right? So, it's kind of like when you go to the airport and if it's if you see something, say something. I was I think just thinking true. about that. Yep. Right. Yep. And you see that and you go, yeah, okay, whatever. But it actually is important. And of course you would, right? So it's the same with someone that posts on the internet, I'm done. You know, I mean, of course you should do something about that. Of course you should respond by, by, and honestly, it also comes, goes into the social media sites too, that, and and I know they're working on that. I have friends doing research on this, that in the, in the world of Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, if somebody is going to be doing that immediately, there needs to be some, something that happens when someone does that, that triggers um, those social platforms to do something as well as uh, if somebody sees it like a friend or uh, someone else in their, in their group. So we haven't completely gotten there yet. I don't think, but I, I do know that, it it is imperative that not only do the people who notice it do something about it, but that there be screens through through the social media platforms to make sure that this this person gets the help they need immediately. And so um, that's just a, a plea for that. I do know that there are times when the the uh, the kid might have said, "Well, I didn't mean to." I was just, but honestly, those are rare. <laughs> Those are rare. Um, it's, it's more likely they, they, they really are um, thinking about this and are pretty hopeless and helpless. So if they say that, I mean, people don't generally say that. A lot of people think, oh, well, if a kid says that, they're trying to get attention. But you don't really say those things unless you mean them, right? And yeah. if a child says that, can can this be stopped if somebody, if, if they've made up their mind, if they're truly, or if they are seeking help, seeking attention, and they're saying this so that somebody will intervene and try and help them. Is this something that can be prevented? Right. Of course. Of course. I think they did a, a study a number of years ago um, of people that had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and uh, this was long ago. And of the very, very few that survived, um, all of them said, as they were falling, I wish I hadn't done it. Wow. So that's that's really very, very interesting. And, and while we don't have a lot of time left, there are certain things that can make a suicide risk increase, like guns in the home, if you have a depressed teenager, right? I mean, some of these things can make what would have been a temporary setback into a fully permanent one. Correct. And I think access to lethal means is extremely important to discuss. Um, And that includes um, medications. So people, and that means over-the-counter medications. I mean, people have other over-the-counter medications in their house, and those are all can be lethal if they're taken an overdose. So if you have a child that is depressed and anxious and 
has had thoughts of, of self-harm, then everything needs to be removed. The access should be put to zero. So knives, razors, over-the-counter medications, prescribed medications, guns, anything that can instantly uh, cause someone to make um, a decision to end their life that, that again, is, is, would not have happened had they not had access. So it's it's extreme. That's why you build again. Now bridges should have high walls on them, so that uh, people don't do it. Uh, because it's it's a impulsive thing that many people do, because they're just done right now. Um, but then if you just talk them away from it, or you decrease access, and you provide them resources to to learn to cope, to to have a proper therapy, proper medications for the depression, um, proper coping skills, proper life skills that they don't turn to something that, that ends a beautiful life, that, that all the hope and prospects that they would ever have are gone. I mean, it is just heartbreaking. And I'd like to share the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you have a teen, if you know somebody, it's 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or you can, talk, you can text TALK to 741-741. That's text TALK to 741-741. Before we wrap up, Dr. Bruner, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners, with the parents listening to Healthy Children about suicide communication with their teens, the buddy system, recognizing these risk factors so that we can help our children and hopefully stop this devastating heartbreak? Yes, I think, basically, thank you, Melanie. I think that there always should be hope, that there always should be um, don't give up. There, there's always someone that can help. There's always a hand to hold. There's always someone to give you a hug. You just have to look for it and you need to ask for help because it's there. Well, it certainly is. And thank you for such great information, Dr. Bruner. You're listening to Healthy Children. Our expert guests are provided by the American Academy of Pediatrics in conjunction with their consumer website, healthychildren.org. You can listen to this show on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere that podcasts are played, but we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. And for Healthy Children and Radio MD, this is Melanie Cole. Stay well.